0: Everyone's a racist, in their own way. Everyone, whether they admit it or not, is racist. People may not realize this, but due to stereotypes, bias, and where someone may have grown up, they may feel a discomfort or distrust towards other people of a different race or background. Dominic Peranich, the author of this statement, captured the common belief prevalent today. Those who agree with Dominique see racism in every segment of society. Nothing escapes its influence. Education, employment, earnings, advancement, laws, rules, and rulings, religion, and politics, just to name a few aspects of life. In fact, many people now accept it as undeniable. They point to instances in their own lives and the lives of family and friends where they believe racism brought mistreatment to them. Even a minimal attention to current news media provides abundant evidence of the accusations of racism. Politicians consult among themselves and propose steps to remove its presence and influence in our culture. New laws and sanctions arise from their deliberations that they believe will fix the problem. Because of the heightened awareness of this issue, the courts examine their rulings diligently to remove even the hint of racism. Employers re-examine their policies to exclude it from their businesses. Schools at all levels attack it with vengeance to preclude its presence in their curricula, classrooms, and corridors. Even religious leaders propose actions to erase its claimed presence and effects within the Christian community. They demand that a new awareness of the potential of racism among Christians must lead to a reevaluation of the Church's programs. And policies to root out any vestige of racism. To come to grips properly and effectively with these challenges within the Christian community requires an examination of the biblical instruction on this important and potentially divisive issue. Does the Bible address it? Where does it arise? Who in the Bible speaks to the issue of racism? What does the Bible say about it? Even more specifically, did Jesus address it? If so, what did he say? Since there is nothing new under the sun, you can expect that the Bible does in fact tackle racism. The culture in which Jesus lived on earth practiced severe racism. The Jews hated the Romans who enslaved and ruled over them. The Jews' revulsion of the Samaritans caused a separation between them geographically. In fact, no Jewish person would travel through Samaria to Galilee in the north, even though it provided the shortest route. This separation also meant that the Jews did not communicate with Samaritans. Further, the Jews of Christ's day despised non-Jews, the Gentiles. I hope that it doesn't surprise you that Jesus himself addressed racism with his disciples and countrymen numerous times, with the scriptures confirmed. His commentary against it included direct statement as well as behavior, which exemplified his attitude towards this ungodly behavior. What did Jesus say about racism? In John 3, verses 1 through 21, records Jesus meeting with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, at midnight. During this conversation, Jesus explained the way a sinner becomes a child of God. It is the unique work of the Holy Spirit, who imparts a new birth to someone. As the discussion continued, Jesus identified himself as the Son of God and his mission from God in one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 3.16. You probably even know the verse. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice the all-inclusive words used in this verse. First is the word world. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit love the world, speaking of mankind and humanity. There's a second all-inclusive word, the word whosoever. This word discriminated against no one, neither race, age, gender, or status. Jesus declared to Nicodemus that anyone and everyone who believed upon Christ inherited eternal life from God. In fact, Jesus frequently used the terms every, all, whosoever, everyone, and others like it. They are too numerous to list in his messages and ministry that revealed the absence of racism in him he proclaimed a message devoid of racism there's a second example from john this time chapter 4 verses 1 to 43 here the apostle john recorded christ's interaction with the samaritans people whom the jews hated according to smith's bible dictionary The Samaritans comprised a mixed people, Jews who inhabited the northern kingdom of Israel, and Babylonians who moved there by the king of Babylon after he conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. He moved some of his own people there after his victory to help repopulate the territory that he captured. Some of the Jews intermarried with the Babylonians. The Samaritans believed that they were the true children of Abraham and the inheritors and protectors of God's law. Perhaps this brief description gives you enough information on why the Jews hated the Samaritans. In fact, as the story unfolds, it reveals the disinterest of Christ's disciples in his dialogue with a Samaritan woman. Jesus wanted to return to Galilee in the north, from Jerusalem, in the south, with Samaria in between them. The typical route for Jews circled around Samaria to reach Galilee. However, in the providence and foreknowledge of Jesus, he needed to travel through Samaria to meet with a Samaritan woman. His route took him not in the common circular route around Samaria, but into the territory of Samaria to a well outside the city of Samaria in the territory of Samaria. As Jesus knew beforehand, on this day a woman came from the city to draw water from a well outside the city. Using the proximity of the well and her desire for physical water, Jesus spoke to her of the living water, That he could give to her. In this dialogue with the Samaritan woman, Jesus spoke of living water, in other words, salvation, that he gave to those who asked, even a Samaritan woman. When Jesus met with this woman, he broke Jewish racism towards the Samaritans. Plus, he met with a woman. Another unacceptable behavior of the Jews. Christ's behavior startled the woman, who wondered how a Jew like him would speak with her, since the Jews did not have any dealings with Samaritans, let alone a woman. As a result of this meeting with her, she returned to the city, brought many other Samaritans to meet with Jesus. Many of them came to faith in Christ because he refused to follow the racist patterns of the Jews. Although Jesus did not speak directly against racism in this episode, his attitude and behavior showed his anti-racist beliefs. Jesus extended his loving offer of salvation to the Samaritans, a people whom the Jews treated with racial hatred. A third example is from Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. In this text, Jesus visited a non-Jewish territory, Tyre and Sidon, cities north of Galilee. A Canaanite woman came to Jesus on behalf of her daughter and pleaded with Christ to cast out the devil that afflicted her child. At first, Jesus did not respond to her pleas. After some time, Jesus told her that he was sent to Israel, a short mention of his primary ministry, to reveal the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies of his coming as their promised Messiah, King, and Savior. Not deterred, she continued her pleas. Jesus replied that he should not give to dogs, in this instance that word dogs referred to household pets, not vicious mongrels, not give to dogs what God intended for the Jews. This statement reflected the often racist statement of the Jews toward Gentiles, which some of Christ's detractors emphasized. But obviously Jesus did not mean it in that fashion, or else he would have departed from the woman and left her pleas unanswered. He made this statement to test the woman to reveal her faith and humility that he knew existed in her. Undeterred, the woman replied that the dogs, the little household pets, do eat crumbs from the master's table, a reflection of her humbling and trusting attitude towards Christ. Jesus praised her faith and healed the woman's daughter. As Dr. John MacArthur points out, Jesus defied the Jewish racial attitude towards Gentiles. What at first appeared to reveal a racial epithet, he meant to test the woman's faith and revealed a humility and trust absent in even his disciples who asked Jesus to send her away. He rejected their racially motivated advice and responded in love for this Gentile woman. This story reveals another example of Christ's non-racial attitude and behavior. There are several other examples in the scriptures as well. I'll list a few of them here. The Gospels include numerous examples of Christ's non-racial outlook and defiance of any racial pattern. I won't go into a lot of detail with these examples but I merely point them out as additional evidences of his non-racial attitude towards people. In John 10.16, Christ mentioned other sheep, a reference to ethnics other than Jews, whom he would save. Matthew 25, verses 31-46, to 46, Jesus included strangers, non-Jewish residents in Israel, who submitted to Israel's laws, among those whom he declared as his sheep. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. This story describes the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus told it to describe love for a neighbor. Interestingly, it involved a Samaritan, who showed love and compassion upon a helpless, beaten man. John 17, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, his great intercessory prayer before his crucifixion. As recorded here, he prayed not only for his immediate disciples, but also for those who would believe on him because of their ministry, which would include people from every tribe and nation. And finally, several references that describe The Lord Jesus Christ commands to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Luke 24, verses 46 to 47. And Acts 1.8. These verses quote Jesus' last commands to his disciples to proclaim the gospel to every nation throughout the whole earth, a clear statement of Christ's non-racist provision and inclusion for sinners of every tribe, nation, ethnicity, color, creed, and status, all who believe upon him. Clearly, Jesus rejected all racial practices of his era, during his ministry on earth. His last commands to his disciples demonstrated his complete inclusion of all people and his provision of eternal life for all who believe in him without exception. Why did Jesus provide these illustrations for his disciples? What purpose did they serve? Jesus wanted his disciples, the Jews and the Gentiles, to know that he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, the King and his kingdom as foretold, and that his messiahship and kingdom included all people who believe in him, not just the Jews. Second, Jesus wanted everyone to know that his death, burial, and resurrection redeemed sinners from every ethnicity, proving his love for them. Jesus commanded his disciples to broadcast the gospel to all nations without exception, teaching them his commands and making them disciples. Christ's redemption, given to everyone who believes in him, reconciled them to God, making them members of his kingdom. Third, Jesus used these opportunities to reject every racial attitude and barrier that the Jews established. In these instances, he spurned the beliefs of his day, even those of his close disciples. He wanted people to know that he saw only two groups of people, believers and unbelievers, not racial divisions. Although these examples show only Christ's non-racist attitude, they also show his love for sinners of every kind. He used these opportunities to rebuke his disciples, his countrymen, as well as disciples, and showed that he tolerated no racial divisions or discords. What correlation do these stories have for you and me? sadly the racial conditions in which jesus which jesus confronted look like our day everything true then is true today racial conflicts develop in virtually every segment of society education elections and employment just to name a few of them white black asian hispanic native american People of all ethnics and cultures battle one another. Preferential treatment of one ethnic person or group over another one sets the offended person or persons into a retort against the offenders. These conflicts arise within Christian congregations, too. In fact, this very issue, racial animosities, rises to the top of problems facing christians today for christians and christian congregations to respond biblically to this condition we must learn from jesus how to live with people of other ethnicities and how to treat them in way. he provides a clear example for us to emulate jesus identified only two groups of people believers and unbelievers He declared that the salvation, redemption, and reconciliation to God that he came to provide was for whosoever believed, without regard to nationality. He also rejected popular racial epithets. Jesus spurned the racial separations that one culture imposed upon another. He did not elevate one nation above another nor subjugate one below another. He taught us to love our neighbor, even the racially segregated and abused one. He offers abundant life to people of all nations, as shown by his commands to Christians, to spread the gospel of his kingdom throughout the whole world. In terms of our day, he was completely anti-racist in the purest form. To fully follow Christ requires acknowledgement of our inability to love others and treat others as he did. Yet Christians and their congregations must follow Christ's example and treat all people with Christ's love. We can obey his commands to follow his example only by the sufficient power of the Holy Spirit who indwells believers and enables us to conform to Christ. What implications do these truths have upon our lives today? Well, for believers, we must remember that our natural condition, due to the weakness of our sinful human natures, causes some believers to adopt racist attitudes. Therefore, we need divine intervention in our lives to enable us to obey and follow Christ's pattern. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, who would indwell his followers and who would guide them into the truth and enable them to obey Him. The anti-racist Christ sets the pattern for Christians to obey and follow. The teaching of Christ on racism provides insight for those of us who trust Christ as Lord and Savior on how the Holy Spirit can use Christ's commands in our lives. Christ's followers show their life-changing transformations, By obedience to God. If you claim to follow Christ, how does this response to racial tensions follow that of Christ? How is your response? Many leaders today declare that all believers are guilty of racism. In addition, they specify that people today must repent of the sin of racism their ancestors practiced. Both are false. You stand alone before God, guilty or innocent of racism. You cannot repent for sins that you did not commit, nor on behalf of any other person, nor does God require it of you in either instance. Perhaps you have examined your life and committed yourself to follow Christ's example. That describes how you should live in this racially sensitive time. I urge you to continue to rely upon the Holy Spirit to enable you to consistently follow Christ and obey his command to love even the racially downcast. However, if you claim allegiance to Christ and profess that you trust him as Lord and Savior, but adopt racial preferences against others, I call you to repentance. You cannot claim what you do not live in daily life. A true follower of Christ will practice anti-racist attitudes towards others as Jesus commanded. Confess your disobedience and selfishness. Repent of it and turn to Christ to experience his forgiveness. Begin to show love toward all ethnic people as Jesus demands. Perhaps you make no claim to salvation. You have never trusted Christ. You show no interest in God or His Son, Jesus. You live your life to satisfy your selfish desires. You may even doubt the existence of God. Further, if He exists, you believe that He has no interest in you or in your life. The Holy Spirit can also use these examples from Christ's life on racism to unbelievers like you, because it proves that the grace and mercy of God in Christ, as revealed in the Gospel, extends to the worst of sinners, like you and me. Hear God's word to you today. When God created Adam and Eve, he planned for them to honor and glorify him and to fill the earth with their progeny, who would also honor and glorify God. Thus they became the head of all humanity who would originate from them. But Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God and ate the fruit of the tree in the garden in Eden that God forbade them to eat. Sin now defiled their, lo- their natures. They looked at each other differently. Guilt replaced freedom. Fear overcame peace and joy. They knew that they disobeyed God and began to experience the consequences of their sins. Their sins separated them from fellowship with God creating a chasm between God and them, and they fled from his presence. The London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 explains it this way, Our first parents, Adam and Eve, by their sin fell from their original righteousness and communion with God and became separated from him. As heads of all humanity... Adam's sin and death came upon all people, including you and me. Thus sin wholly defiles all the faculties and parts of our souls, minds, and bodies. In other words, from conception we possess sinful natures and become enslaved to our sin which separates us from God with no desire for him. We have no longing to believe God, let alone worship Him. Sin engulfs us into bondage to it and permeates our whole beings. In addition, our sin makes us helpless to remedy our condition. Because of your sinful helplessness and lack of desire for God, you need divine intervention in your life to redeem you from your sin and bondage to evil and to reconcile you to God. Hear now God's word to you. The Gospel tells us that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, born of a young virgin girl, to secure redemption for sinners and to reconcile them back to God. During His life on earth, Jesus obeyed every command and demand of God, living a perfect and sinless life. Though tempted and always like us, he resisted every time. Because of his sinless life, he could provide the perfect, complete sacrifice to God on behalf of the sins of others as their substitute. He lived a life that neither you nor I could live. Major Ian Thomas said it this way The life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died. When Christ shed his blood on the cross and died there, he offered himself to God as a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of sinners like you and me. He paid the penalty to God in full that people like us deserve to pay because of our sin. He died the death that we should die. Our sin separates us from God and requires a suitable sacrifice to God to atone for them and to reconcile us back to God. The sacrifice of Christ, which God accepted, fulfills that obligation in atonement for the sins of sinners like you and me. Jesus commanded all people everywhere to repent and believe the gospel which calls us to believe in the virgin birth of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, where he sacrificed his blood for sinners like you and me, and in his resurrection to new life, victorious over sin and death, destroying the devil and all his evil works. Jesus promised to accept anyone and everyone who comes to him in faith, turning from their sin in repentance, self-reliance, and rebellion against God, to trust his sacrifice to God on their behalf. God promised to pardon and forgive all who come to him by faith in Christ, God's appointed substitutionary sacrifice to God for them. Further, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, to indwell those who come to him in faith. The indwelling Holy Spirit enables Christ's followers to fulfill his commands. As a young boy, I called upon Christ to be my Savior. I have experienced Christ's transforming power by the Holy Spirit in my life and attest to its reality. Therefore, I ask the Holy Spirit to come to you today to give you the new birth that will regenerate you giving you new life from above to come to you the, to give to you the faith to turn from your sin self-reliance and rebellion against god to give you the faith to trust christ's provision for you in his life death and resurrection as fulfilled for you and that will reconcile you to god and to come to you today and to indwell you as christ promised so that he will begin to form Christ's life in you. I pray that this will become true for you today.